Well, it seems like everybody wants it, everyone denies its existence, and everyone wants to fight against it. And it's called the truth. Well, as believers, truth, reason, knowledge, science, logic, these things are important to us, right? And they have been ever since before. The God of truth said in Leviticus 19.11, You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. But surprise, surprise, this is something the modern world still has not conquered. Francesca Gino at Harvard Business School has studied dishonesty extensively. She's been called one of the world's top 40 business professors under 40 and one of the world's 50 most influential management thinkers. In June, it was reported that the dishonesty expert was being investigated for falsifying data in four scientific published studies, including one on honesty and one on how cheaters may be more creative. Well, whether Gino or her accusers are lying, you have to wonder when you hear the title of one of her best-selling books, Rebel Talent, Why It Pays to Break the Rules at Work and in Life. Don't worry, the book is evidence-based. Apparently, Gino is now on administrative leave from Harvard. Well, let me say some words that will bring to mind all kinds of current news. Misinformation. What's that? Well, that's information that isn't, right? Untruths presented as truths. Disinformation. That's a newer word. Uh, it was popularized in the Soviet Union and came from Russian into English. Disinformation are lies specifically intended to deceive. And there's one more. Uh, malinformation. Malinformation is the worst. Something shared intentionally in order to cause harm. And originally, I thought that this term just referred to lies. But actually, uh, it may refer to lies, but it can actually also refer to truth that may cause harm, at least according to whoever is making the rules. And the irony is that these words themselves are often used in order to deceive, right? No matter what side of any debate you're on, you've probably heard these words used of the other side. So I wanted to take a closer look at one particular verse in its context to get an understanding of, of deception from a biblical point of view, kind of a big picture view. And that verse is Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Romans 1, 18. You may have studied this chapter before. I hope you have. But we're going to focus on one tiny part of it, specifically thinking about deception. All right? So go ahead and look up Romans 1 so you can see this for yourself. So in Romans 1, Paul is just starting his great overview of the good news of Jesus Christ in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So that's a summary of where he's going, but he's going to start with the problem. So... Brace yourself, because this is kind of a dark topic. Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God is angry, wrathful. There's a common misconception that God just kind of lets things take their course. You just experience the natural consequences of your choices. 
as if God isn't really in control of those natural consequences. But, but no, there's something more here. Jesus says that God's wrath is his default attitude against sinful humanity. John 3:36. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. See, God's wrath is not God losing his temper. It's not a sudden passion. It remains, as Jesus says, because it's a steady burning hatred of all that is evil and destructive. God will never someday decide that ah, sin isn't so bad after all, or he can never be con con convinced or influenced to ignore sin or bribed to let someone go free. In Revelation 6, we hear about the wrath of the Lamb. Jesus, the Lamb of God himself, actively administers justice, treading the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Revelation 19. God's active anger and condemnation against that which is evil and destructive against sinners is good, according to the Bible. In fact, Paul rightly suggests in uh, Romans 9.22 that God wants to show us his wrath and judgment. He wants to reveal this good part of his nature. Now, uh, we might be in favor of other people's sins being punished, but in the end, this teaching about God's anger is hard for us to accept because sinners, people who have broken God's law, we are the recipients of his condemnation. That is without Christ, because there is good news, right? If we're united with Christ, we escape God's anger. But this, this truth can be terrifying. Uh, you may remember uh, when Paul was sharing the truth with Felix, who was Roman governor of Judea between 52 and 60 AD. Acts 24, 25 says, And as he, Paul, reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, uh, Go away for the present. When I got, get an opportunity, I will summon you. Well, Felix did summon him again, but that's because he wanted a bribe, not because he wanted to hear about God's judgment. So why is God angry and wrathful, according to Romans 1.18? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. That's the inclusive use of the word men, the great mass of humanity, men, women, and children. God is angry against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Paul reminds us in Galatians 3.10 that we are required to obey God completely. If we disobey even once, we're under a curse. Again, without Christ. But here it is. The summary of all the lies and deception that we see in the world today. Men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is what we need to understand in the society in which we live. The world's great progressive project, the ultimate conspiracy, don't be afraid of this word because if it fits anywhere, it fits here. The ultimate conspiracy that's been going on for millennia is twofold. First of all, to suppress the truth. And second, in some ways part of the first, to justify ourselves. So that is, we want to hide the fact that we're rightly under God's wrath. 
and even deny right and wrong. And then ironically, we want to say that this was the right thing to do. In John chapter 8, a a group of people believed in Jesus, but by the end of the chapter, they were picking up stones to throw at him. What in the world triggered them? I'll tell you. Jesus said that they needed to be set free from sin. And that was the one thing they could not bear to hear. We're already free, they thought. Well, that's a summary of all history and a summary of this year. People make themselves the judges and declare themselves to be innocent. Now, before we kind of start our look at the world's lies, please remember, today, as believers clothed in in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, forgiven of our sins, we still sometimes like to grab the old rags. We're still tempted to deceive. So the Holy Spirit still has to remind us in Ephesians 4.25 to put away falsehood and speak the truth. We're not innocent here. But today we're going to look at how this truth suppression actually happens in the world because we're also its victims, right? We feel like we're in a canoe tossed randomly in the rapids all over the place. The previous verse in Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that we need to grow up in Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So let's look at seven ways in which people suppress the truth. And I'd encourage you to take note of these seven things. And my challenge to you is to watch and listen for these things throughout the week because these things are in the background of what is going on all the time. Romans 1.19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So number one, they refuse to honor and thank God. They refuse to honor and thank God, and that's how it starts. They don't recognize God's kindness and mercy. Every moment we live, every breath we breathe, everything we have is thanks to a merciful God. We don't deserve it, and yet we don't ever thank God and honor him. That's a lie. It's a lie that we don't owe anything to God. It's it's a lie that everything we have is somehow because of ourselves. Hey, we can't even make ourselves start to exist, never mind anything else. And the next one's related, or maybe the next step or the, the logical progression. Number two, they no longer acknowledge God. They no longer acknowledge God. They pretend that the true God doesn't exist, and without God, suddenly nothing really makes sense. Listen to Paul express his desire for the believers in Laodicea and Colossae. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So we can fall for plausible but false arguments. Ultimately, we avoid being deluded, being scammed in Christ himself. He is the source of all wisdom and knowledge. Art, science, economics, math, whatever it is, it all makes sense in him. It comes together in him. It begins and it ends in him. Number two on our list here is rapidly happening in Mexico and changing the landscape. When we first arrived, uh, pretty much everyone, uh, adults, youth, kids, would say that they believed in God, even though the, the vast majority would never step into church. But now we're seeing a new generation that is completely pushing God out or trying to. And uh, it is such a drastic and rapid change, I don't think anyone ministering in Mexico is ready for it. Every philosophy without God is a never-ending labyrinth. Science without God ends in confusion. Government without God ends in tyranny. And remember that if it's always your truth versus my truth, the strongest bully wins. Right? It's only absolute, transcendent truth, truth not dependent on us. Only truth can level the playing field. So they don't thank God, they no longer acknowledge God, and then they claim to be wise. They claim to be wise. Now that they've removed God as the ultimate authority, they must claim that they are wise and trustworthy. And in Romans 1.22, claiming to be wise, they became what? Fools. You've, have you heard of the logical fallacy called appeal to authority? Yeah, some of you. Uh, appeal to authority doesn't mean that every expert is wrong, but it's when you're supposed to accept what they say is truth just because they're a supposed expert or authority, right? And we, we easily fall for this. Why? Because people with a lie will tell you that you just don't understand. You, you haven't read the right books. You don't understand what this term or that term means. And then when you finally figure it out, the definition changes. Or you'll simply be shamed, shamed for what you believe, or canceled or shouted down because this isn't real wisdom. It can't survive real investigation. It's built on a false foundation. So what do people do with this false wisdom? It has no ultimate logic. It's just a clever way to avoid the truth. Well, they have to deny what is, uh, what is plain and clearly perceived, as it says in verses 19 and 20. So they must try to make the world fit their lie. So number four, they create a false world. They create a false world. Romans 1.22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images representing mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served. I'll have to get over this for a second. <coughs> you can read it for yourselves while I have a drink. <coughs> uh, 
Thank you. They worshiped and served, what? The creature, rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So if, if God is not the creator and the ultimate authority, it must be something in this world or in this universe. So we make something in this world God, uh, or the world itself, or a human leader, or maybe we think of uh, science and technology as our savior. Thank you. Here's one reason why there is such a push today for digital technology. And it's not all bad. Obviously, we're using it right now. But it's useful for creating a false world. Uh, Facebook had a kind of shaky start with this, with Meta in their Metaverse. Uh, another example is an online computer game called Fortnite with its 83 million regular players, which is giving users more and more freedom to create their world and their character and, and be whatever they want to be. And some people want to live in that world. But, but let's not just accuse a few gamers. The, the more that people, any people, can make the digital world their reality uh, in online gaming or social media or the news or movies and entertainment, the more they can create a false world where they think that sin has no consequences and that God's purpose for them is irrelevant or can be changed, and the more others with digital control can manipulate us into a false world. Now, a false world must be built on half-truths. It can't be 100% false or it wouldn't work even temporarily. So it's got to kind of be, be propped up by a few truths, kind of like a scaffold. And that's why people use uh, biblical words, maybe a word like love, to describe something that's not loving. Or they use a negative word to describe something that's good. Classic example, the Israelites did this in Exodus. So they wanted to create an idol that they could manipulate and control, and they gave their idol a name, Yahweh, Jehovah. That's what they called the golden calf that they created in Exodus 32.5. They claimed that it was Yahweh, the Lord, who had saved them out of Egypt. A false world, but with a little bit of truth. So we can't expect this false world to be 100% lies. It's almost always a mix, and that's what makes it so confusing. So they don't thank God. Then they try to ignore him. Then they justify themselves as being very wise. Creating a false world, lies mixed with truth, in which their wisdom makes sense. And this, of course, leads to number five. They worship and serve creation. They worship and serve creation. They still need uh, an authority in this pretend world, something to unite everything together so that their rebellion can be a little more effective. Every false religion worships and serves creation, even if it's just something like, well, I'll decide what is true and right. Making ourselves the ultimate authority instead of God's word. Or maybe our own desires and comfort come first. We're simply slaves to our own wants, our own comfort, our own entertainment. Number six, they practice and approve of unrighteousness. They practice and approve of unrighteousness. It's kind of a, a vicious circle. People 
are unrighteous, unjust, and so they want to suppress the truth, and so they do it using their unrighteousness. And it's even better if other people agree with you, right? So people try to create a consensus or a false consensus around the lies by approving of other people's lies and evil. Sin must be promoted. Listen to the end of the chapter. I'll start in uh, verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. We, we feel a little bit better if other people agree with us. Number seven, they try to ignore the coming judgment. You can do it. No, you can't. <laughs> We're missing that one. They try to ignore the coming judgment. There we are. So we still know that there's a judgment. Our, our creation of a false world, our worship of creation, safety in numbers, it's all for nothing. We still know that evil will be judged, judged by a holy God. This idea of suppressing the truth has been, been compared to pushing a beach ball under the water. Have you ever done that? It takes a lot of energy and concentration to keep it down, and then when you let go, what happens? It pops up again, that's right. Hard work. It takes a lot of energy and concentration to constantly suppress the truth, and in the end, it's all for nothing. So what's left? Try to ignore it, justify ourselves again, push the truth down again. Try to enjoy your brief life. <laughs> the fool in Jesus' parable said, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Try to enjoy your brief life. The ignore what's coming. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? The scoffers in Second Peter say, Where is the promise of his coming? The Lord's coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing, just as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook that the world was judged with a flood, and that it is now being saved for the judgment of fire, when not only will the world be destroyed and remade, but the ungodly will be destroyed. So now that we have a quick summary of how the world attempts to suppress the truth and promote the lie, um, well, we can first of all listen for these things, and it will help us evaluate information from a biblical point of view, but as a practice run, let's look at a quick example of what this looks like in a religious context, all right? So, you know the Pharisees. The, Pharise the Pharisees, during Jesus' earthly ministry, were mostly unbelievers, but with a strict religious life. They dishonored the Father, God the Father, by rejecting his Son, Jesus, God the Son. Well, that's number one. 
They decided which of God's words to accept because they stole his authority and became the judges, number two, and number three. So they became their own gods, in a sense, number five. So we get to John chapter 7. Jesus was in the temple in Jerusalem, explaining that he was teaching the truth, God's word. That truth was out of the control of the religious leaders, as all truth is, because uh, truth is not decided on by a certain group of people. So Jesus had to be silenced. So they sent some of the Levite security guards to arrest Jesus, but the Levite officers started listening to Jesus. Very dangerous thing to do, by the way. And they realized that this was no ordinary man. So listen to what happened. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. Now, watch how the Pharisees continue to suppress the truth. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? That's number three. We're wise. You're not. You've been listening to disinformation. Have you also been deceived? How have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? (laughs) We, the authorities, are wise. We know the facts. You don't. They claim to be wise, number three. They create a false world, number four. In a sense, they worship themselves. They continue. But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. (laughs) Don't believe the ignorant, sinful masses. You belong to this group, so you don't know anything. Never heard that before, have you? Now, Nicodemus, the respected religious leader, is going to try to push back a little bit. Nicodemus, uh, this is uh, verse 50 of John 7. Nicodemus, who had gone to him, Jesus, before, and was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? What's he saying? Well, let's listen and observe, and, and discuss, and reason. See, so far, the Pharisees opposing Jesus haven't explained what Jesus has said that isn't true. They've simply appealed to authority, marginalized and canceled those who believe in Christ, and at the same time, they use a logical fallacy by, by appealing to the group. Look, we all know that Jesus is not a true prophet. That's a a false consensus because some of them actually were believers. Verse 52. They replied to Nicodemus, Are you from Galilee too? (laughs) Are you from Galilee too? That's kind of an insult. Uh, The Galileans didn't really have the right political views. They were too influenced by the Gentiles. That silly province has fallen for what Jesus is saying. Surely you're not like them. So Nicodemus is accused of bias. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. That's their only actual argument against Jesus' teaching. Actually, it's not even against his teaching. It's against who he is, right? Now, if they're saying that there had been no prophet from Galilee in history, that's simply false, not true. But they might have been saying that the Messiah would not come from the north, would not come from Galilee, which is partly true, right? The prophet said that the Messiah would be born in where? Bethlehem, Bethlehem. right. But Isaiah 9 also talks of the Messiah coming to the north, to Galilee of the Gentiles. So 
this is, uh, both of those things were true of Jesus. So this is either misinformation or disinformation or both. But they sound so intelligent, don't they? But truth mixed with lies is very unstable and it will never last. Listen, the lies of this world are worse and more subtle and more universal than we realize. Our own temptation to falsehood is also stronger than we realize. But the Bible gives us light. So what should we do? Well, we should do the opposite of all those things we talked about before. While Romans 3 says, there is no fear of God before their eyes, we must fear and honor God. Uh, Romans eleven twenty. so do not become proud, but fear. We, we don't just exalt ourselves as the smart ones. No, we ultimately acknowledge our own sin before the Lord. We ask for his mercy on us and on others. Someday, all hypocrisy will be on full display, but there's forgiveness and hope in Christ. And that's what we call people to, right? It's not just truth and condemnation. No, because in Christ, truth is hope. Because we love Christ, we choose to love truth, and that is all truth. Because Jesus is not just Lord of Sundays, but Mondays. Jesus is not just Lord of some, some vague spiritual truth or, or certain good values. No, he's the Lord of math and science and language and your workplace and your home and government and institutions and politics and petroleum and computer systems and agriculture and your body and the stars in the sky. Jesus is Lord of all truth because Jesus is Lord of all. Truth is not obvious or easy to find in a fallen world. We need to be patient with ourselves and with others. I love uh, Proverbs 23, 23. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. It costs to find and hold to the truth. Thank God and honor him. Acknowledge him. Find truth and wisdom in Christ. In the real world, recognize that God is God and his creation is his creation. Practice and approve of true righteousness, true godliness, true goodness, and live in the truth that judgment is coming and warn others that the truth will triumph. Well, this is only an introduction, but we need to realize that the Bible does have the answers for today's world. The Spirit really is with his people. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that we do not want to be outwitted by Satan because we are not ignorant of his designs. But it says in Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So we look to him, the one who is the truth in every part of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for not leaving us in darkness. In this world of lies and falsehood, you've given us a solid foundation. And, and 
You sent your son to be the light and the truth in this world and to forgive us, forgive us for living in the lie. How can we thank you for your kindness? I pray that all of us here would be aware of the schemes of the devil in this world so that we would shine the light in every area of our lives. Father, give us courage and strength and peace in your son and his gospel. We want to know him more in his truth. We pray in his name, name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.